Happy New Year. It is officially 2023. And in celebration of that, I am bringing you 23 of our prior guests, a little clip, little nuggets, little inspirations that they have given us. And I really hope you enjoy it. Happy New Year. From episode 11 with Tom Ziegler. So our, our mission at Ziegler is to encourage, transform, equip, and support you so that you can change the world through legacy building, mm. coaching, speaking, and training. Uh, so we, you know, we, we do what we've always done, but we're very much focused on legacy. Mm. And to me, legacy is when you prepare those you love to grow through life's most difficult challenges. That's what, that's what legacy is. And a lot of people think that uh, legacy is usually about family and it's usually about blood. Um, but I tell everybody, we adopt everybody. Right. <laughs> your, fa- your family. <laughs> right? You hang around us. You hang around us, your family. That's and, great. And, you know, what a different way to view people. Uh, no matter where you are in the world, is they're just family you haven't met yet. Episode 22 with Scott Tillema. I want you to remember four words, and I want to keep it simple because under stress, it's tough to remember things. Mm. We're going to keep it as simple as possible, and these four words are understanding, timing, delivery, and respect. And these are four principles that work together, and I see them working as a circle. Now, the FBI teaches the behavioral change staircase, and that's five stairs that you go up going from the bottom to the top. I see it a little bit differently. My thought is if we touch on these four principles and we go around and around and form a circle with them, the circle represents the bond that we're creating. And I say my goal is not to free the hostages, and your goal is not to sell the car. Your goal is not to um, get the person to drop the knife. Your goal is to create a bond. And once you have a bond, then you've got influence. Once you have influence, you can do whatever you want. And people in leadership, this is what they want to do. They want to be influential. They want to be powerful leaders. It starts by creating a bond and connection. And we do that by working first to understand what is the situation. I understand. And you can do this before the negotiation, before the conversation, and throughout. I need to understand because you always have to ask yourself the question, what if I'm wrong? And that is a humbling question for a lot of people who are very successful. The high-performing leaders don't like to ask the question, what if I'm wrong? Mm. And this is the value of having diverse teams and diverse schools of thought. So we start with understanding, timing, knowing when to deliver your message. This is your strategy piece. You might have the exact right thing to do, the right thing to say, but if you deliver that at the wrong time, man, could this be all wrong. It might actually put you in a worse position than you were if than than when you were started, or if you would have gotten it right, maybe you would have had that resolution. Understanding timing delivery is about, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Now, I'm not saying words are unimportant. Words are very important. But my thought is, you're probably already preparing. You're preparing your content of what you're going to say, what my talking points are, what my sales points are going to be. We spend our time in preparation thinking about what we're going to say, but how many people actually sit down with a coach Mm. or record themselves and say, how's my delivery? the rate, the rhythm, the pressure, the volume, the tone. All of these things are very coachable. And with a little tweak, you can sound a whole whole lot better. And your person effect, how you're received by that other 
person is going to be completely different. And that's how we create emotions within people. They're not going to remember what you said. They're going to remember how they felt. Awesome. Mm. Let's work on our delivery. And the fourth one is respect. The power of respect. I Episode 23 with Kim McManus. The word here is family. Mm -hmm. In the developing, in the development world, among grand organizations that have bazillions of dollars, the narrative is invest in the girl and the girl will save the village. And that's just not true. Mm -mm. It's too much. It's too much because you're leaving the family behind. Right. You're leaving the boys behind and you're leaving the family behind. It was always strengthening the whole and the whole is family. It's community. Yeah. We are and, and Malawi is beautiful with community. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. They still have that strong. They've never been affected by war. We really want to get in there and say to all of the, you know, people who go in to, to start businesses in Malawi, they say there's no natural resources. I'm like, are you kidding? The people are their natural resources. Mm -hmm. The children, you wait. They're flourishing. You wait. Just nurture that alone and watch them hit all of their development developmental goals. Mm -hmm. And that's been beautiful to see because, you know, I really believe in a God of hope. That's right. That's right. Episode one with Brian Colon. Well, you know what I hear from your story is, is that no matter where you're at in your life, right, you didn't quit. The other thing I hear in that is, is that if, if one or two people took the time to pour into you and inspired you, and then one or two more people pour into it, we can change the direction of the youth that were, that are suffering in our streets today. New Mexico is so, such a wonderful, diverse place to grow up. And yet we're some of the worst ratings. 49th or 50th in most of the things that are dealing with children. And, and I, and yet I see people such as yourself and it mm -hmm. inspires me. And I hope that it inspires other people that if we all can just move in one direction, you know, it reminds me of the little boy walking with his grandfather down the beach and they're throwing star or picking up starfish and the, yep. and the grandfather's throwing it in. And the little boy goes, well, what difference does it make grandpa? And he says to this starfish, it makes all the difference in the world as he tosses it in the water. And for you, somebody poured into you, and it sounds like multiple people poured into you. And I find that the if you're in a slump, if you can start digging yourself out, there will be somebody there that has a hand down to lift you up. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that that is the uh, focus that we all need to have. I mean, I think we, we focus so often on the negative that we forget that we have the capacity to turn those negatives into positives. And I try and do that every day, and I and I particularly do it with young people. Uh, I've got young people now that work on Wall Street. They're in huge law firms. They're on the West Coast in the technology sector, uh, and frankly, most of them uh, are young people who don't have two loving parents in the home right. like your ten children have. Uh, right. They they are in tenuable, uh, tenuous situations when it comes to food security, housing security. And uh, we're changing lives. And I just know that you don't have to be a mentor that puts in 50 hours a week into a young person to make a difference. Yeah. If you got 50 minutes mm -hmm. in a month, you can mm -hmm. make a difference. Well, and we even noticed just with our children, you know, an encouraging word of, wow, you're doing a great job. Or I see this in you. Just noticing something about that child that 
you know, that they may need to be encouraged. And for us, you know, we have 10 children, six are adopted, four biological, and we adopted five of our kids from CYFD custody. And um, for us, we can see that building up. It starts foundationally. It, It does start in the home. I, too, I was the first person in my family to graduate from high school. You know, when you talk about the food stamp, sorry, I always tell Clay because he didn't use food stamps. Mm. Um, And (laughs) so I tell him when we would go to Ralph's grocery store, because I'm from L.A., and we would bring my food stamps. I was so embarrassed because my mom would always make me give the food stamps. And I'm like, man, can't my brother do it? And my brother would never do it. So it was truly embarrassing. And I tell him about when we go to the welfare office and how we were treated when we'd go to the welfare office like we did not exist. And we felt like a number because, you know, they call your number. You go up and, you know, have to get things squared away for, you know, your cheese or Mm -hmm. your powdered milk. And just as a child feeling that I'm not good enough. And for me, it was truly a woman spoken to my life, one person that spoke in my life. So you mentioned all these organizations that came alongside of you. I'm blown away. That is amazing. That is so awesome. It's been an incredible journey, and and uh, you know I really do. I, I always tell my son if you called him up now and said, "What's your dad's kind of favorite saying?" and and I'm a huge Napoleon Hill, W. Clement Stone, mm-hmm. Zig Ziglar, Darren Hardy, you know all the greats, uh, and Darren's really the only contemporary out of that whole list. But <laughs> uh, you know, for, for me, I, I was a huge Zig Ziglar uh, fan as a as a teenager and as a young man in my twenties, and I spent some time with him. Uh, before I really had the means to do so, but I did get to do that. And he really changed my life in a positive way. And he used to have some expressions and I took one of his expressions and I massaged it a little bit and turned it into my own. But I took one of his favorite sayings and I, I, I adopted it to be my own. And that is, I tell my son that your success in life will always be directly proportional to the success you help others achieve. Mm. Mm. And I really believe that your success in life will always be directly proportional to the success you help others achieve. So when I reach out to all these young people, it has come back in spades. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I am where I am because of the gifts that those young people that I've invested in, those organizations that I've assisted on my journey, and all those people that, that I've been able to, to guide along the way, it has enriched me. They may not do that support directly, but I'm a better man for having mm-hmm. supported them. And I'm a more complete human being because I've supported them. And that allows me to do what I do every day. The voice of a lion. That's right. Humility, gratitude. (laughs) From episode three, Monique Jacobson. Before taking the CYFD job, I actually spent two weeks in Uganda. Mm -hmm. It's two weeks. So again, similar. It's not like I changed the world in those two weeks. In fact, I think it changes us. It changed me. Right. But it laid the groundwork for how we rolled out the mission at mm-hmm. CYFD mm-hmm. because what I saw in Uganda was the same. I saw poverty that was um, that was worse than most of what I've seen here, and I've seen some right. pretty horrific things here. But the poverty level was significant there. But what I also saw was an unbelievable sense of community, mm-hmm. and I saw joy. I saw so much mm. joy mm-hmm. in these kids' eyes and in their faces, and in the games that they were playing on the street, in mm-hmm. the dirt, in the mud. I, I saw, similar to you, I saw, you know, a six-year-old with a three-year-old on her back that she was responsible for that whole day. Mm-hmm. Things that were, again, just kind of unimaginable to mm-hmm. me, but it worked for them. That's right. And so when, when when I started at CYFD, I knew 
unfortunately, in four years, we're not going to end child abuse. I certainly, of course, that was our goal. I wish, wish, wish that that we could do that. But I, there's too many external factors to end that in four years. Um, and I knew we couldn't end poverty. And I knew we couldn't. There were so many issues we were facing that I knew we couldn't just fix. But what I believed strongly after having been in Uganda is despite poverty, mm-hmm. despite that's right. a lot of things, we can improve the quality of life for these kids. And that's what we set the mission. And I hope it's still the mission at CYFD. But we set it very simply, which was to improve the quality of life for our children, period. And I rolled it out. And, you know, I'd go to offices in Las Cruces and they painted it on the walls and people it. would put it on their emails. And I think it really helped it does. Those 2,000 employees remember what their purpose was. That's right. And and it made it something tangible. And I would tell everybody, every day you can do one thing that will improve the quality of life for this child. That's every right. day you can't end poverty. Every day you can bring a smile to the face of someone who needs to smile. Every day you can make someone feel loved That's who right. doesn't feel loved. And I, I really think if we all just did that, if we That's all right. just said, you know what, today I'm going to improve the quality of life for one person. And if every person listening did that every single day. Just one person. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Just we have one. bad days. That's easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're not like getting out there to 40, 50 people, but one person That's every right. day. And I think the ripple effect would be what could change the Profound. state, certainly, and then eventually the world. That's right. Profound. Episode 10 with Nick McKinley. The the human trafficking issue, quite frankly, a lot of people still don't believe that this is happening in the United States. Or they think that, oh, human trafficking, yeah, that's a bunch of uh, you know Chinese citizens being brought over in shipping containers. Or, or my favorite is, oh, I saw the movie Taken. Mm. Or I saw the, you know, pick a Hollywood flick about people coming over the border in U-Haul trucks or something. And that's just that's just not real. That's not. It's not that that doesn't ever happen. It does, but there's such outliers that you wouldn't you wouldn't create a an entire organization to fight that. Hmm. Human trafficking is American citizens being trafficked by American citizens being sold to American citizens. This is a very American problem. Hmm. This isn't Cambodia. This isn't Vietnam. And while trafficking trafficking does happen over there. You know, like you said, I've got children. I've got a daughter. Uh, fighting human trafficking in Cambodia does nothing to protect my daughter here in the United States. It does nothing to protect your daughters here in the United States. But fighting human trafficking in America has has second and third order effects on the trafficking market in Cambodia and Vietnam and Thailand and those places. So if you truly want to have an impact on on human trafficking worldwide, the best place to fight it is in Western countries. Uh, and the biggest market economy for trafficking in the world is the United States of America. Dollar for dollar, trafficking is bigger in the United States of America than it is anywhere else in the world. And that's how you, that's how you destroy an illicit market is by attacking the money and by attacking the market, not by uh, what is essentially removing commodities off the shelf. Episode 12 with Gail Miller. Well, I think I'd probably count my blessings Mm. for the life I've had and know that what was really important was not material. It was spiritual or internal or um, what I had become. Mm -hmm. And I think I would be just fine. You know, I came from a poor home and I've been 
very poor to the point where we used to stand on the porch and wait for my dad to come home with a sack of groceries mm. to having enough money to buy anything I want and knowing that there wasn't one thing I wanted that money could buy. Mm. So I've been rich and I've been poor, but in my heart, I'm the exact same person. Mm. I know who I am. I know what my values are. Mm. And if I had to start over, that's where I'd start. What can I do to enrich other people? Episode 19 with Adrian Perez. You know, whether you're a leader um, of an industry, a president, or you're a dishwasher, you know, the hardest thing that we all face is, is being real. Mm. And I guess the advice I would tell people, if I wish I would have known this 20, 30 years mm. ago when I started, was that, you know, we always think that we have to be something that others expect us to be. Mm. Whether that's a facade that we're putting up, or if you've gotten promoted, you're young and you just got your first promotion, you think you have to act a certain way. Mm. You think you have to be in that mold. Mm -hmm. And you lose what really got you to where you were. Right. Um, so, you know, simply I would just say, in whatever position you're in, whether it's with your family or with your professional life, you know, find ways to, to be yourself. People will follow people who are real. And, and what I've realized in, in leading people for almost 27 years is that what people want is they want a real leader. They want to know that you suffer the same things they do. We all have financial issues. We all have family issues. Mm -hmm. We all have problems with our kids. We all have problems with everything that we deal with, yeah. and we're all the same. Yeah. It doesn't matter your title. It doesn't matter how much money you make, whether you're rich or poor. We all deal with the same challenges. And what people want is they want that real transparent friendship. Mm -hmm. They want a real transparent leader. And I found if you share just even a second of that with people, mm -hmm. um, it's like magnetic. They'll gravitate to you because they want somebody to understand, wow, I'm going through the same thing and I'm dealing with the same struggles. And wow, you're, you're this, you know, you're a president of a company and you deal with the same things. You have kids that do stupid things and you have this and you have that. And yes, we do. And, and I think that bond, mm -hmm. um, that's created by real people, um, when you're able to break down those barriers and not try to pretend that you need to be something, but just be who you are, be who, who you were created to be, um, and not hide behind a title, not mm -hmm. hide behind a facade, not hide behind a vehicle that you own or right. anything. It's just a matter of being transparent. Yeah. So I, 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 I tell the young people that all the time that I get to mentor. And um, when, I, when I speak to other um, leaders of industry, I say the same thing because I think we're all caught in that same um, weird circle of, you know, you get a title, you get a promotion, and you're, you think you have to act a certain way. Yeah. And um, it's just not true. It's mm. absolutely just not true. So um, no matter where you're at uh, in life, that's what I would say is just be transparent, be real. People yeah. will follow that. From episode two with Maria Guy. Oh. We use an equation all the time. Power times humility equals true influence. Mm. But power times mm. pride and arrogance, limited mm. influence. You're going to so follow true. that person only because you have to and for only as long as you need to. But you will find a way to get out from under that mm. person. But someone who has that authority, that power, and you couple that with humility... That is someone everyone wants to be around. Everyone wants to be in in their sphere of influence because of the way that they treat people. But you sense they really know they've got their stuff together. They know what they're doing. They know where they're going. 
but they approach it with humility and respect with everyone around them. We love that. We're all drawn to that. That's right. And that's kind of that seems to be the common thread that we're seeing on Voice of the Lions is humility. And you don't think when you think of a lion, you don't think they're very humble, you know, (laughs) but it it goes back to your equation. That's a perfect example of what it means to be a lion is, you know, we need to humble ourselves. We need to show that we're not always right. Absolutely. And that's just so important how it it does influence others. Absolutely. I was talking to a team just yesterday about uh, what does it look like to apologize? (laughs) And did you grow up where that was modeled or that wasn't modeled? Do you apologize too much, which is very annoying? Right. Do you not uh, apologize enough, which is very arrogant and prideful? And everyone had to reflect and say, you know what? Maybe I have some work Mm. to do there because it's not, hey, I'm sorry. Sorry, what? Sorry you got caught? Sorry, you know, (laughs) that they made you come apologize to me? Or no, will you forgive me? Mm-hmm. So I shift that power to you because I'm the one who caused the offense. And you can either extend that forgiveness or not, but it's no longer in my hands. And we think we're going to lose face, that we're going to be diminished. Right. And it does the exact Look opposite. Weak. Yeah. This is from episode 15 with Mike McCabe. I think, frankly, since you opened this up, the solution is going to be we can't, we can't go from extremes. The solution's in the middle, and you're gonna, and it's not pulling down statues, it's changing the heart. And mm. uh, so those are all just symbols and really don't mean anything. And the harder one side pushes, the harder the other side pushes away. And we've got to get back to uh, uh, ag- agreeing that we can disagree and not being disagreeable and being able to discuss things. Because in my view, we have... Uh, freedom of speech, which means, though I might not like it and I might really oppose it, you have the right to say pretty much anything in this country. And uh, so I think tolerance across the board is the first step. And uh, and since we're talking about leadership uh, a little bit, the next least trusted thing in the recent studies by Pew and uh, Gallup behind politicians is business leaders. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I talk a lot about is how do you engender trust mm-hmm. in your company and the people, because a good percentage of them probably don't trust you. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first thing you've got to create a safe environment uh, that people feel they can communicate openly, that, that uh, you've got their back as a leader and, you know, and you're not just interested in yourself and your career and profit, you're interested in them. And so, you know, uh, uh, it's a very, very challenging period of time, particularly now since people are leading companies via Zoom or or Teams or WebEx or whatever, you know, electronic means they're leading them, but they're not, there's no physical contact. So it's going to be even more challenging uh, going forward. From episode five with Rebecca Latham every mother should hear. Right. right. And I think that that's why, I mean, it, it, it's so awesome for Michelle. Also, she came back this, she came back this past year and was one of our speakers and talked about uh, the labels that we as moms encounter, your soccer mom, your foster right. mom, your single mom, your working mom, your stay at home mom, right. like all these labels. And so how many. do we just get past that and be better support for one another? And when you talk about, you know, four, four moms and it's, you know, our, our, our single moms and our working moms, all the moms, the thing that I get the most out of being a mother 
is being able to lean on other mothers. That's right. You know, like I could, I could um, have a, a, someone come in, an expert come in and say, well, you know, your children, sh- they should be sleeping in their own bed. Right. And they need to be um, mm-hmm. in bed by a certain time. And uh, you don't feed them dairy after 7 p.m. <laughs> and, uh, oh, sugar. Oh, don't. Mm-mm, mm-hmm. No. So I can have an expert come in and tell me that. But what I really need is someone like Michelle mm-hmm. to say to me, they can have right. milk and night. They're going to be just fine. Right. Like, you know, and like, it's like we women, we need the, the camaraderie. That's right. Episode 20 with Steve Maestas. Um. But I think, you know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about uh, about New Mexico and the culture here is there's a there's an abundance of scarcity and there's abundance of mm. tough stories, right? And um, and we all know some of the the data and the statistics, but but I've found and I learned that those hard times, uh, if you can if you can use them and and learn from them they're actually very instructive and very valuable um my early days my hard times uh my struggles uh, have made me a much better human being they've made me a better father um, a better believer they've made me a, a better business person um so you know sometimes you know you can you know what's that saying about lemons? You can make lemonade or whatever. So I think there's a lot of truth to using your tough experiences or your challenging experiences to advance yourself and to uh, uh, to make things um, better tomorrow than they were yesterday. Episode 18 with Dominique Doan. We we live in a time where we're so cynical and judgmental and quick to point out faults and cancel people we don't agree with. Mm. And what we need in this day and age is a resurgence of grace where we choose to see the beauty in them. (laughs) We Mm. choose to see the presence of God in them. And there's, if you're looking for someone that you'll never disagree with, all you're looking for is a mirror. Mm, (laughs) You're just looking for a a glorified version of yourself. Mm -hmm. I I think the beauty is found in in the difference. It's found in uh, a variety of opinions and perspectives Mm and, and learning, learning the art of saying, look, we, we do disagree on this, but I'm going to love you anyway. I I see the beauty in you anyway. And again, that's how Jesus, that's how Jesus lived. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if Jesus were walking our streets right now, um, he would embody a different, a different ethos than we mm-hmm. see so often portrayed. Sadly, even Christian communities, church communities, certainly at a social level, and <laughs> Facebook and all that. Right. Because Jesus, the kinds of people he drew to him were quite different. You know, you you had Simon the Zealot. Uh, the Zealots were these radical fringe groups that were known for always. They always had a knife with them because they were waiting for the day to, for Rome to be overthrown. And at a moment's notice, they'd be ready to jump into the fray and, and uh, help the process of, talk about deconstructing, you know, deconstruct the empire. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the zealots. And Simon had been a part of that group. And Jesus had with him Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for Rome. <laughs> so I mean, talk about a, a pretty diverse right. set of people. 
from episode six with General Miguel Aguilar. Values and the, and the mm-hmm. discipline in them uh, to continue forward. And so typically when I talk to them, uh, and I'll, I'll visit with each class, you know, several times is, um, you know, what, what I, what I tell them is, look, you got to own your life from here on. So mm, no matter what the circumstances yeah. were that put you in this place, no matter what you didn't get in life, you've been given the tools now to mm-hmm. succeed. So you have to own your life from here forward. Mm. You know, up until this point, you can say, Hey, I didn't get something. Mm. I didn't get the advantage someone else got. Um, but you have a staff in, 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 in this program that loves you, you have a, a national guard that is here to support you. Mm. And so, um, make good choices or bad right. choices the rest of your lives, but you got to own it from here right. forward. But right. sometimes that's what it takes is to have that support, to just know that someone is believing in you. Episode 21 with John Patton. Yeah. I don't look at it as risk. A lot of people think there was risk, but I had nothing to lose. So there was nothing to risk. <laughs> <laughs> now, your wife told me you even put up your house at one time. That's a risk. Yeah, that's true. A few times we had our house up to try to make uh, make sure we made payroll and everything like that. And that's typical for small starting out businesses. And when we started, Bill and I, the story I tell is uh, we bought uh, uh, New York pizza on uh, Friday after looking at it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we worked there for about a week, and then the second week, um, a lady came in, walked behind the counter, and we had no employees. It was just Bill and I. We did $29 our first day, and she started filling up Cokes and putting them on the counter, and we were next to El Dorado High School at that time. And I, I said, what are you doing? She says, well, I'm getting ready for the lunch rush. And I said, she says, who are you? I said, well, I'm John, and this is Bill, and we bought she goes, well, where's Matt? And well, he moved back to Michigan. <laughs> said, okay. You got your first employee. <laughs> yeah. So we had our first employee, and she worked from uh, 11 to 1, Monday through Friday. And then on Friday, the first tough decision we had is when she came to me and said, um, I'd like to get paid. And then oh. I had to ask her a tough question. How, How much, much do, do I, I owe you? <laughs> <laughs> Steve Stucker with episode 24. Even just ending up in New Mexico, you know, mm-hmm. as a, I, I hesitate to say we were poor. Because, yeah. like we talked about earlier, we mm-hmm. had a wealth of mm-hmm. love in our family. And even though every year we got the speech, well, kids, we're not going to have much for Christmas yes. this year, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but we had so much. And we, we always mm-hmm. had plenty to share with others. My mom was a, a waitress at a truck stop for 25 cents an hour. Wow. And she'd bring home young girls mm-hmm. that were hitchhiking across the country mm-hmm. with wow. truckers and say, <gasps> You get on the phone and call your parents, young lady. Oh, and that was in the day when great. it was a long distance call. Right. <laughs> My dad's looking like long uh, distance. It better be collect. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? That's just that's just how she was. Yeah. And 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 it's it, it's filtered out into into us. And I mean, I feel like I've got a long way to go mm-hmm. to live up to what my parents did. Wow. With the, with their resources, mm-hmm. so it's it's the same that's thing. That's awesome. That, that, that legacy. And it's and it's just a. Just a great blessing. Yeah. You mentioned legacy. The the lady um, that um, gave us that first bed, mm-hmm. I had the honor of uh, presiding over her funeral oh, one wow. month ago. Oh, and wow. you should have seen the eyes and the tears oh. when I talked to the kids and the grandkids mm. and the great-grandkids. Mm-hmm. This beautiful lady who was in her 90s mm-hmm. and said, I want to tell you something about Grandma that you might not know. Mm. She parted with something that was valuable to her through oh, her wow. sentiment and she gave it away freely 
And it started something now that has grown into a ministry that's that's provided beds for 16,000 people. So you never know. That's amazing. That generosity. Episode 7 with Holly Slade. Difficult circumstances are new. Mm -hmm. People really do have this shame component that they're struggling Mm -hmm. with. And I wish I could say to those people, there is no shame in going through a season of need. That's mm-hmm. right. You know, make it known, raise your hand mm-hmm. so that people can come along, you and especially your children, mm-hmm. because it has such an impact on them. And, you know, for those of us who are just kind of going about our lives, going to Starbucks, mm-hmm. going to movies, you know, one can of ravioli costs one dollar. Right. One dollar. And lunch. literally lunch for someone, yeah. Literally to a kid who has nothing. If they got only one can of ravioli on Saturday and Sunday, that would change their weekend. That's right. We have third graders that are losing two pounds over the weekend. Now, our snack packs have more than that one can of ravioli, mind you. Of course. But in terms of if you're trying to figure out, you know, how to donate or one or what to donate, one can of ravioli, one dollar. Sheriff Manny Gonzalez, episode four. Decentralization is a key to community policing. And so I think me in our discussion that we had about a week ago, you know, there was a little bit of talk about what happened in the 20th century. And a lot of law enforcement agencies consolidated the services and a lot of it always has to do with cost. But I think that's actually costing us at the at the expense of having a relationship with the public. So the key mm-hmm. is to decentralize all your people back into the community so they're visible, they're accessible, and you can actually have your your ear to the ground and a pulse on the community so you actually know what the needs are. When you can identify what the needs are of the public and you can truly represent them and serve them, then you are really going to be effective. And that's the approach we've taken. It's a, it's very basic, but what's happened is oftentimes when, let's say, a head of agency takes over a, a department, an organization, all they do is they take what they inherited and they don't have a vision of what that community-based policing should look like. This should be going on throughout the country. That would help restore the trust of law enforcement throughout the country, not just here, but it works anywhere. It's a very basic, fundamental way of policing. Leon Samuel, Episode 8. Going back to my, my favorite saying, do your little perfectly. Anything that you apply yourself to, anything you're passionate about, no, no matter how small, if you can do it to the best of your ability, then that's what your calling is, mm-hmm. I feel like. Mm-hmm. If you really don't apply yourself and you do um, a terrible job or you do it just part of the way, that's not going to serve you. That's not going to serve your community. You have the ability to make it the best you possibly can and apply that in every aspect you can. Wesley Town with a voice of a lion short. I can't give a person particular prescription because Mm -hmm. everybody's context experience and story is different Mm -hmm. and I think when you're looking at somebody struggling with mental health it's so important to focus on the person and the story and Mm -hmm. listening and being empathetic um, rather than trying to fix them because Mm -hmm. really what somebody needs is to be to be able to find somebody safe and trusted to talk to right um that, that in itself is immensely healing. And I think that there are a lot of great resources. Um, there's a lot of help out there. 
It's just important that we are attuned to people that are really hurting and we're able to help them find the help that they need. Right. Mm. That's good. Ryan Bushway, episode 25. Yeah. And, and, and it, you know, I talk about it now, you know, it's different in hindsight, but during that time, I thought about giving up. Mm. Yeah. Human nature. Of, yeah. I, it was really like it's super challenging, but here's but as the visual world quieted, became less stimulating. I was stuck on a couch. I had actually atrophied. I couldn't do one push up. All mm-hmm. I did was coach, listen to books on tape, and and there in that quiet, I had soul craving. In mm. in it activated this conversation with the spirit of life that there was something a louder voice that I had connected with that said yeah you're kind of in one way you're already like my future was gone right if I'm stuck on the couch not doing anything there's no future here but the soul craving spoke louder and I said yes to those and that's why I kept trying that, that was it, right? Why did I choose to try? Many days I woke up, I didn't want to. I didn't feel like it. But there was something deeper that said, get up and go. And that was the most beautiful thing in this experience is I started a conversation with the creator of life mm. through the whole cravings. And I tapped into that frequency. And, and then God, Jesus, the spirit of life became my coach. Mm. And that was the voice that I said yes to when society was telling me, you're blind, don't move, we'll do it for you. Mm. Like it, uh, those first early years really was the social atmosphere. It was like I was in this desert of disbelief. Mm. Like that was the that was actually the hardest part. There was nothing physically difficult about not being able to see. I can use a computer; it'll talk to me. I can learn to read Braille. I can use a cane. I can learn to use my ears more strategically. That that's all pretty straightforward. The hardest part was now one day people saw me as a person who could see, and then they were treating me the next very differently Mm. and so the larger culture was actually conditioning me for learned helplessness Hmm. jim gay with episode 17 we call it super why what what's the motivation see when i talk to somebody who's saying well my daughter's getting married and we're gonna have pictures and i want to look the very best i can that's an awesome motivation now, it's not a long-term right. thing, right? Because what happens after the wedding or even during the whole experience mm-hmm. where you're eating and all that type of thing? And you're like, oh, it's all over. Well, hopefully what has happened during that time is like, for example, your daughter. If somebody mm-hmm. says, wow, you look great. Oh, wow, what that does mm-hmm. for them, right? Yeah. Well, they look great because of the changes that right. they've made. That's a, a real mm-hmm. feeder into I'm going to do this long-term. Right. And unfortunately, right now, I don't want to, this is a tangent, we could do a whole nother podcast Mm -hmm. on this, but there's a culture right now that's out there, which is trying to manipulate your state of mind to accept unhealthy living. Mm. 
mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, count your blessings, not your calories, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, Ooh. oh, <laughs> wow, that's got such a positive start. Where did you go with the calories yeah. thing, right? Because, listen, if you're unhealthy and you're overweight, I mean, I got some stats from being in the business. 60% of the U.S. population does no activity during their day other than what it takes to do to live, mm. right? 60%. Wow. We're now at an all-time high for obesity. Thank you, COVID. Mm-hmm. To now it's 40% of U.S. populations now obese. Mm-hmm. That's not overweight. That's, that's over that limit of BMI of 30% right. or whatever the weight might be. And they're saying, well, this is really bad. I should not feel bad about myself. So I'm going to create this atmosphere of like, I'm good. Right. You know what? I'm fine. I'm 40 pounds overweight. I'm fine. I'm, I love myself and all that. There's positive aspects to that. But if you're going to give that person a magic wand and say, create the way you want to look, right. you're going to leave it right there. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. Well, I- In number 23, Brian Allerid with episode 16. Faith is believing that something can be there, uh, and, and someone has to get out of the water. I love Peter because he got out of the water. He got out of the boat, and he got on the water, scared to death. Right. Um, and, you know, the disciples were taking bets on how quick it would take him to sink, right? Like, you know, what's the over and under on Peter sinking, you know? And, and he started to sink. He, he had his eyes on Jesus. As soon as he got his eyes off Jesus, he started to sink, and uh, Jesus grabbed his arm. and, and uh, But you know what? And he started to you know, Jesus said, Peter, why did you have little faith? And they're like, see, and they're laughing, but man, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a dry boat talker. Come on. And yes. he did a week. It's Anybody can be a critic for, from the sidelines, right? I'd rather be in the game and, and, and sink a few times, knowing that God will always get my back. And I've sunk a few times. I truly hope you enjoyed today's guest and you found inspiration, guidance, and you want to share it. Put it on Instagram, Facebook. Tell people about us. It would mean a lot to us. You can also give us your feedback at voiceofalion.com. And if you want to help us financially, you want to get involved with our nonprofit and what we do for the communities, not only here in New Mexico, but around the world, you can go to aspenproject.org and there's tons of ways to donate and find out more of what we are doing. Thanks again for being a Voice of a Lion listener and tell everyone.